Warning. The stories in this podcast contain depictions of violence and suggestive themes. Listener discretion is advised. BLF Agent in Charge 0602, filing report for Project 1980, codenamed Broken. Today establishes the first of many challenges in routine. A confirmed entity from Hell has broken free of its realm. Details are still forthcoming, but Morningstar is still trapped in his cage. While this does bode well for a non-apocalypse scenario, the mystery remains of which demon or entity is missing. The BLF has a woefully inadequate list of the major demon population, but the top 100 or so haven't changed. Much. The BLF liaison in charge of Hell Relations has come up missing. I'm sure the two incidents are related but I have no factual evidence to present. I've been in long enough to trust my instincts. I have secured the Eldritch Eye until new security protocols have been established. There may be one or more double agents inside BLF. I cannot trust anyone. Dark days are ahead. The splitter cells have been given their assignments. Because of the distance and extra layers of communication, our reaction time is reduced. If there is a weakness in my section, it will reveal itself soon enough. I feel unseen eyes watching me. I believe that I'm prepared to handle whatever form the enemy takes, but I'm scared. Not for myself, but because I know not everyone is strong enough to bear the challenges yet to come. Broken. File 303, begin. Nikki Reed is a special consultant to the Highbridge Police Department. She has a talent for solving cases that fall outside typical boundaries. She leverages her talents in hopes of bringing justice to Highbridge. Broken file... 303, end of report. 
The unseen things in the night move around me. The veil weakened. I've had nights like this before. I felt a bit like Eve after she bit the apple. Too much forbidden knowledge inside my head. Death walked the streets somewhere in Highbridge. The fury of the storm was unnatural. The realms were out of balance. My damn head was pounding again. I saw flashes of a house, blood, violence, fury, then panic. I felt my heart leap to my chest. I paced to the front window until nothing. I felt like hitting a brick wall. I collapsed to the ground, shaking. The rain continued to pour outside, but the unnaturalness behind it was gone. It could have been minutes or hours, but it was still dark and rainy when I collected myself off the floor. My nightshirt was soaked with sweat. Hair stuck to my face in weird spots. I felt dirty. I needed a shower and coffee. I could already sense that there would be a phone call in my future from the Highbridge PD. I always thought from a young age that I would end up working for one of the three letter agencies as a profiler. Dad met Mom while working a joint mission for the FBI. He was CIA and they fell in love. They both lived the happy retired life in a Vermont cabin somewhere in the Adirondack Mountains. As fate would have it, I ended up getting into a car accident the day after my graduation from Quantico. I suffered a traumatic brain injury that could cause my vision to blur without warning. My hope of working at the federal level withered to nothing. The accident connected me to things beyond this world. My newly acquired talents led me to the town of Highbridge, a cosmic crossing of the weird and supernatural. I was cursed with the knowledge of different realms because of my gift. The Mount, Hell, the Far, and the Grove all opened their influences inside the city limits. Each realm fought for influence and power over the others. They used this world as a battleground. Humanity was caught in the middle. The Veil was our only protection. Well, the Veil and people like me. It was fortunate that the desperate detective named Scott Solomon hired me as an outside consultant. I proved myself a useful talent and helped him capture a dangerous child kidnapper and closed a portal to hell. Of course, the Highbridge PD doesn't know about that last part. I spared the people who paid my salary the details of horrifying demons and visions of long-dead things. I could never find the right words to explain my special talent. 
Detective Solomon liked to call my unique talent my spider sense, like I'm some kind of superhero. I wasn't a perfect human, but sometimes I felt like I had a guardian angel watching over me, my own personal celestial from the mount. Good morning, Detective Solomon. We got a mess here, Nikki. A goddamn mess. The sun was fully above the horizon. Bright red and orange clouds dominated the sky. It looked like the town was on fire. I slammed the rest of my cup. Give me the details. 1984 Elm Street. The neighbor across the street noticed the front door open this morning. Two Vicks. One male, one female. They both appear to have suffered massive blunt force trauma sometime around 10 or 11 last night. I have to finish getting dressed. I'm about 10 minutes away? Ah, take your time. The lab rats are still photographing and taking samples. It's pretty brutal. We might have a real sicko somewhere out there. Yeah, I got it. I took a deep breath and closed my eyes. Lord, take this cup from my lips. I had a strange feeling, though, that things above could be just as cruel as those below. Everyone had an agenda. I hope another portal hadn't opened. The last one didn't close so easily. to the next door neighbor Tanya Waters earlier and she said and I quote the inside was like a slaughterhouse Ms. Waters told us that a young woman had just moved into the residence not too long ago she suspected something was wrong when she was walking her dog this morning at about 6:45 and saw the wide open front door we'll have more on this situation as it develops this is Lacey West WKIL News Channel 10 Highbridge Are we clear, Tom? You're supposed to tell me when we're fucking clear. Jesus Christ, you think I like standing around all goddamn day smiling like an idiot? Is this your first day on the job? Amateurs. Well, it must be serious. Look who decided to show up. Lacey. Nikki. Care to tell me what's going on inside? How can I do that? I just got here. Bullshit. Don't get cute with me. The PD don't call you in for nothing. I remember you helping take down that creep kidnapper a few months back. Also, word inside the department is that you're really good at finding evidence that turned their nothing into something. Is it a crime to be good at your job? Come on. Give me something to take back to the studio. How about we set up a one-on-one interview? You name when and where. Sure. Just wait here for five minutes. And if I'm not back... Just wait longer. How did the news get here so damn fast? If I didn't know any better, I'd swear that Lacey was the one with the supernatural gift. The overwhelming smell of sulfur made me pause at the front door. I looked around, but no one else seemed to be affected by it. 
demonic activity typically left a rotten smell in its wake. I concentrated for a moment. The smell faded into the background. I saw Detective Solomon talking to the coroner over a male victim. We got a positive ID yet? Bradley Linton, 38, local address in Highbridge. We're still trying to contact next of kin. Cause of death? It's unofficial, but Doc says that Brad was struck multiple times by that bat over there. Worked him over real good, but the killing blow came from massive trauma to the face. Kicked in the face? That's a hell of a way to go. Probably choked to death on his own blood. I started to feel my vision blur. I felt a sharp pain in my wrist as it broke. Terror washed over me. I couldn't believe someone I knew would do this to me. I felt impacts to my chest and my back. My face was ground into the broken glass on the ground. I felt the kick to my face and gasped as I struggled to breathe, slowly choking to death. And the soul, oh my god, the soul, it was gone. My vision slowly refocused back to the present. You all right there, Nikki? Yeah, I get the impression that Brad knew his attacker. You have any hard evidence to back that up, or is that your spidey sense tingling? My charming personality and good looks aren't enough? Damn. Have the doc check his right wrist for fractures, and I don't think he was killed first. Where's the other Vic, the female? Back in the bedroom. I was first on the scene for the Tate murders last year, and I think this bedroom is worse. I remembered the Tates. The sheriff and the mayor both ran me off that case. The investigation got even messier when a local DJ pulled a prank on air with some local author trying to promote a book. The politics in this town could sometimes be more dangerous than the criminals. The bedroom was a mess of blood and gore. Dried viscera and wide splatter patterns dominated the corner of the room. Texans in simple protective suits gathered samples and snapped pictures. All right, you lot. Clear out. We need the room for a few. I waited for the room to clear out and stepped carefully over the body on the ground. This was Helen Rathman, 38 years old. The address on her ID has her living across town, but neighbors confirmed she moved in a few weeks ago. Apparently she was newly divorced. She would tell anyone who would listen that she was finally free. Doc said that the cause of death was most likely due to severe head trauma. Probably dead after the first or second whack. I'm guessing that bat in the living room was used on both of them. This felt different. The fear mixed with an unchallenged rage. I saw a tall dark figure standing over me. No, several dark figures. Glowing red eyes stared at me. I felt I recognized the face, but not the voice. The voice was different, sinister, deadly. I felt the urge to begin pleading for the life of my baby. I'm sorry, what? 
Did you say baby? Don't tell me there's a dead kid, too. The Vic. She was pregnant. How the hell can you know that? There's plenty of bumps on this poor lady, but a baby bump isn't one of them. That could be the motive as to why she was killed. Someone found out she was pregnant? We should probably track down her ex-husband. I felt the same empty space in Helen as I did Brad. Her soul and her child's soul were both ripped away. (sighs) Yeah, we might want to ask him a few questions. Supplemental Report Priority Routine for BLF Committee Review File Name Braille Reader The following was recorded on Christina meets a friendly stranger that impacts her life in more than one way. A connection beyond what was once thought possible opens up a new reality and the beginnings of an adventure not of this world. Fluctuations of energy match those found in Highbridge. Perhaps it was the interference of that prevented alteration of the timeline. Adding case to project file 1980. End of report. I shook my head at this utterly ridiculous statement, considering we didn't have a budgie or a parrot. My mother had early onset dementia and often became confused. I pondered whether to answer. Finally, I decided it would be rude not to. What colour are they, mother? It varies. This week, they're pale yellow. Last week, they were green. I guess next week they'll be blue. Definitely dementia. Perhaps I could isolate when these crazy hallucinations started. How long have you been finding them? Ever since you brought home our lodger. You probably can't see it, but he has a very pointed nose and is quite tall and thin. Didn't you say you found him in the park? I'm not sure about him at all. That's not very nice, Mother. He had nowhere to stay, and he pays a good rental for the spare room. He's away every day, studying in the city, and he keeps me company all the way to work and home again. Hm. That's his story. I'm not sure I believe him. 
He never seems to do any study or paperwork. And where does he get his money from? He says he has a grant from his mentor to do his thesis. Yes, but from whom? That's what I'd like to know. Can we change the subject, Mother? Please. I think he's coming downstairs. Is breakfast ready? It's on the table, and I've made your lunch. It's beside your plate. I made my way to the table with a light touch of affirmation on the various pieces of furniture. Being partially sighted and deemed legally blind, I could distinguish large objects, but not details. And this morning, the sun's glare through the dining room window did not help. If not for my job working the switchboard in Hope's Emporium, I'd probably go stark raving mad staying at home. A three-story edifice in the center city that satisfied the craving of fabricolics and their passion gave me a steady income. Best of all, it got me out of the house and away from mother during the day. Our family doctor had warned that eventually mother would need to be in care. But at present, except for getting lost on shopping trips and coming up with stupid ideas like feathers lying around the house, we were coping. The household's power base had shifted incrementally until I now made most of the financial decisions and Mother's World appeared to be retracting to within the four walls of this house. Since shopping had become a hazardous journey that distressed Mother, causing tears before she even left the house, Aaron, the boarder, had proved to be very useful. If he knew of Mother's need to shop for supplies, he'd skip his university lectures for that day and go with her assuring me he could continue his studies of human behavior while escorting mother to town and back. Pity he didn't know how to drive. The car my late father had driven sulked in the garage. Sometimes I sat in it, catching faint traces of father's pipe-smoking habit and missing him terribly. I even held long, one-sided conversations with him in the privacy of the garage asking for his advice and hoping for a miraculous reply. Being an only child weighed heavily on my shoulders as Mother's brain became more adult. The doctor had cancelled Mother's driving license some months ago and Aaron seemed keen on learning until I mentioned a birth certificate being required to sit the final test. Even when I offered to pay for his driving lessons, he wouldn't relent. Morning all. Aaron said as he sat down and began to eat his cereal, picking a small amount of fruit but heaps of cereal. Eats like a bird, cheap to key. On our way to the bus, with Aaron's hand tucked under my arm as we crossed the road, I thought back to how we'd met. It had started when my shoulder bag fell off the park bench a few weeks ago. I hated it when that happened. It made me feel so stupid to scramble around on the ground collecting things. But, as luck would have it, on that day Aaron had been walking and stopped to help. Here, let me help you with that. He'd retrieved my lipstick, security cards, and my phone, handing them to me piece by piece as I filed them back into the correct pockets of the bag. Then he sat beside me, chatting while I ate my lunch. When he discovered I had limited vision, he'd regaled me with his view of the park and what people were doing. His descriptions made me laugh. 
I imagined what they were actually doing and told him so. Secretly, I liked his version better. It was as if I were teaching a youngster about the world around them and the things people did to relax in their breaks. Some sunbathed, some played cricket or kicked a ball in a rudimentary game of football. Frisbees were thrown, youths on skateboards whizzed along the path, and children ran, tumbled, became momentarily lost, and tried to climb into a fountain. A mother's frantic rescue actions had amused him, and the concept of drowning seemed to puzzle him. He had no understanding of slang terms, and I couldn't place his accent. His vowels twanged at a different pitch to the usual tone. Yet it wasn't Cockney, Scottish, or Midlands. Where were you brought up? Somewhere out of touch with society. One time when I asked, Aaron said Titan. So I presumed he was of some Greek origin from some small rural town. He explained his daily arrival at the park bench as a break in his study schedule, and I resorted to taking more sandwiches and extra fruit so he could share my lunch. I'm looking for somewhere to live. Do you happen to know where I can stay? We have a spare room at home, Mother and I. That sounds great. I can move in tonight. (laughs) Tonight? What about your things? I have all of my worldly possessions in my carry bag. My jaw dropped at his choice of words. I've learned to travel light. I quickly recollected myself and then explained the weekly charge for board and lodgings. I expected him to try and negotiate, but he accepted without a query. I have sufficient money. He did. That was a new twist. A thread of worry wound its way into my usually complacent nature. I was concerned and couldn't help myself. You haven't robbed a bank, have you? I've been given a large sum for some recent assignment papers I've submitted. My employers are pleased and wish for me to continue. I'm sorry. I, sh- I shouldn't have suggested that. It-, it was a weak joke. I'd placed my hand on his arm. So thin and frail... He needed fattening up, and one thing Mother was good at was cooking hearty meals. You can meet me here after work. The sun was behind him, and I saw him nod. I brought you this. Here. Elementary Braille. You can study it. It's what I was telling you about, how I read. It's a language of dots and bumps, and sometimes they're placed on things like... The buttons in lifts, on public notice boards, in places where blind people could be injured if they go the wrong way. He took it. I heard the thick pages flicking and it seemed as if I had handed over an old friend. A thread of panic gripped me. Just don't lose it. It's my only copy. I'll read it this afternoon while I'm waiting for you to finish work. You'll need more than one afternoon to study it. I'm a fast learner. You'll see. Perhaps by tomorrow I'll be able to write you a private, personal message. And he did. The next morning he had a message pricked out on firm paper, laid by my plate at the breakfast table. The note read, Thank you for your friendship and hospitality. I will be a good lodger. He was. That was a month ago. Now, it seemed he'd always been there. 
I loved having someone to share my books with and leave private messages for, private conversations that mother couldn't read. Since then, life had settled into a new routine. The responsibility of mother's wanderings had been eased by Aaron's willingness to accompany her on trips beyond the garden fence. In the evenings, they took walks, played board games or watched television. With three people and a man, it felt like a family again. I fought the longing in my heart and tried to ignore the lift in my spirits as I walked in the door and heard Aaron's voice. Hello, Christina. How are you? No young man would be interested in a girl with only partial sight. A girl who couldn't even see what he really looked like except tall and thin with a beaky nose, according to Mother. Weeks later, with life bubbling along and me fighting a growing attraction to Aaron, Mother's health took a turn for the worse. Not just a turn, but a disastrous collapse as far as I could see, even with my limited vision. At dinner, over a meal of meatballs and pasta with fresh vegetables from the garden Aaron had resurrected, Mother had a surprising announcement. Chrissy, today we had a spaceship in the backyard. I got to meet the driver. He had funny ears, and when Aaron told me his name, I couldn't remember it. So I called him Spock. Mother waved her fork in the air. The light glinted off it as it passed my nose. You know, uh, that Spock from the TV. My stomach contracted at the sheer lunacy of it. No good arguing. Mother had been known to throw her dinner into the air when crossed in conversation. That's nice. You are being patronizing. You think I'm crazy. I'm not. It was a small green spaceship, and when I went up the short ladder to get inside, it seemed much bigger once you were in it. Like the TARDIS in Doctor Who. Mother's fantasies seemed to be following the theme of television series. This was a new twist. Sighing internally, I gave in. Tell me about it, Mother. Sounds very exciting. It was! It was! I suspected more nonsense would follow, but couldn't resist trying to puncture Mother's certainty. Did the neighbors see it? Luckily, no. Once it rises more than ten feet off the ground, it disappears. Spock told me. Besides, we have a tall hedge around the backyard. That's what happened when it left, didn't it, Aaron? Now, Mother drew Aaron into the story. Hmm? Very much a neither confirm nor deny answer of no help at all. Mother pushed her chair back and stood. Then... Best of all, Chrissy. Spock gave me a pill. He said it will help with my forgetteries. Won't cure me, but should stop me losing any more memories. If only. However, the hope and joy in Mother's voice prevented me from speaking rudely. That's nice, Mother. What do you think, Aaron? Can a pill help Mother? Even one from an alien? Quite possible. Worth trying, and Spock is a titan. Not an alien, per se. Per se? 
Was Aaron being pedantic or facetious? Was Spock from Greece? Did he really exist? Who was losing their mind around here? Could dementia be catching and now Aaron had it? The thought of being responsible for two wandering adults brought tears to my eyes. Why are you crying? I heard him stand and move around the table towards me. His thin arms wrapped around my shoulders, his warm cheek pressed against mine. You are so pretty, and crying will make your eyes red. Don't do it. I can't help it. Mother's mind is becoming so full of holes, and now her imagination is running riot. You've been such a help with her, but I have to say that siding with her when she tells these tall stories, like, like this, it doesn't really help me cope. I felt for and grasped his hand. I fiddled around to find my handkerchief and blew my nose more loudly than a lady should. Besides, if she gets too crazy, you might leave, and I'll miss you terribly. He grasped my hands in his and pulled me to my feet, wrapping me tight against his chest. I could hear his heart beating rapidly, such a comforting sound, strong and regular, like an energetic clock, counting off the seconds. I don't intend leaving, Christina. May I call you Chrissy? I know that's what your mother does. I nodded. His chest rose as he took a breath. Actually, Chrissy, I have an omission to make myself. My stomach clenched. What had I missed seeing? Damn this poor sight. I'm from Titan as well. Yes, you told me before. Whereabouts in Greece is it? It's not in Greece. It's a moon that circles Saturn. You mean the planet Saturn? Truly. Yes, I'm here studying human behavior. You know this. I told you when we first met. My reports go back to the mothership and occasionally Spock, which isn't his real name of course, visits me. He gives me money and catches up on my progress. I wanted to stay here with you and your mother. It's secure and pleasant, and I've become very fond of you both. That's why I ask our expedition commander, Spock. Yes, Spock. If he could help with your mother's dementia, it's an experiment, and I hope you don't mind, because it could work. Did I mind? An alien living in our house? Curing mother's dementia and growing vegetables like a professional. Not to mention being good round the house. As mother gave up housework, Aaron had picked up the slack. No one in the village had commented badly about his appearance or otherwise except to say what a lovely young man we had living with us. Weighed against coping on my own, living with an alien seemed a small price to pay. I'd love you to stay, Aaron. At least until your study time expires. I think I can make it stretch out for many years. Relief coursed through me, and tired of resisting my attraction to him, I slid my hands under his shirt front and wrapped my arms around him to stroke his back. Under my fingertips, his feathers rippled. Feathers? 
Well, that explained Mother's complaints. We might be able to do something for your sight as well. My heart tried to jump out of my chest. I trailed my fingers down his spine again. It would be great to see the spaceship. Not to mention seeing the feathers you wear. Hmm. We've mastered making most things with our 3D printers, but can't seem to get rid of the occasional band of feathers. I love the feel of them. They slipped like silk under my fingertips. The sensation calmed me. A cough brought me back to the present. <clears throat> Ahem, excuse me, you two lovebirds, but your meal is getting cold. I don't slave over a hot stove to have my cooking ignored. You can cuddle later. Mother appeared to be getting her mojo back. Out of the Frying Pan was written by Arthur Unk and performed by Tanner Wood with an original score produced by J.M. Scherf. Go Ask Alice, Part 1, was written by Arthur Unk, performed by Katie Tatry, Eric Phones, and C.M. Peters. Musical Arrangements by C.M. Peters. Braille Reader was written by Darren Pitar, a regular contributor to the show, and performed by Liliana Roman, Rebecca Mersinger, and Tori Miller. Musical arrangements by C.M. Peters. Episode artwork by C.M. Peters. Now that we're well into our season three, we have open submissions for... Wait for it. Season four. If you would like to have a story of yours featured here on the Baseline Feed podcast, check out BaselineFeed.com for our open submission call. If you just have an idea for a short story, our community of self-dubbed baseliners that we've built over on our Discord server are willing to give all the direction, help, and encouragement you could ever need. Consider joining us there if you need inspiration, or maybe hop in on some game nights that we host on a regular basis. Finally, we want to send a special thank you to our patrons. Your contributions to the BLF really do help keep the lights on. All the eternal love and appreciation to you guys. We're always looking to support new voice actors, writers, and producers here at the BLF. Please reach out via email if you have any interest in contributing to the show. All the links that you would ever need are in the show notes. <laughs>